This is Carl Palachuk, and you're listening to the SMB Community Podcast, produced by and for the Small Biz Thoughts community. We're dedicated to making every IT professional a successful IT professional. Third tier. The idea that it's not the first level or the second level tech support that you're dealing with. Third tier is the real deal. Since 2008, the company Third Tier offers current and former Microsoft MVPs that you can access to help you through a problem, do the part of the project that you aren't as familiar with, or even help you make a plan so you don't miss an important step. In all time zones, the best won't compete with you because supporting IT pros is all they do. Embedded with the sense of community that made them MVPs in the first place, you can invoke the third tier by just opening a ticket. Find out more at thirdtier.net or follow on social for all the free educational resources. Hi, this is Carl Palachuk. Welcome to another SMB Community Podcast. Today, I am talking with a long, 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 long time friend, <laughs> Chris Tim from uh, the UK. And Chris is with Sundella Consulting, and he is an auto task PSA consultant and also does a podcast you should check out called PSA Impact with our longtime friend, Rayanne Buccianico. Welcome, sir. Hey, hi, Carl. Thank you very much for, for having me. It's really, uh, really good to see you again. And yeah, we are very long, 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 long time friends. I think it was probably back in at least 2007, 2008, somewhere around there that we met up um, at what was then the Autotask Community Lives. So yeah, we've been uh, you know friends for a long time. Um, I've been around in the industry for a long time, and uh, and as you say, I run a, a, a podcast with Rayanne PSA Impact, which focuses on on all things PSA. So why don't you start by giving us a little bit about your background, like who are you and where did you come from, and all that happy stuff. Sure, sure. Um, so. Uh, yeah, so basically, as you can probably tell from my accent, I'm originally from South Africa. I moved over to uh, to the UK in around 1997, uh, been in IT uh, pretty much forever. But in around 2003, I started a, an, an MSP business. Um, you know, I ran that, that MSP business for a good eight years, and then I sold it in 2012. Um, and that was right around about the time that Autotask was actually starting up an office in the UK. So they they approached me, asked me to come on board and work with them in the UK. So, um, you know, I, I took up the offer and I went to work for them, worked with them for five and a half years at uh, at the offices in, in Autotask. Uh, and then I saw a massive gap in the market for, uh, you know, MSPs that aren't using their PSA tool effectively. Um, you know, and, and having worked at Autotask and having worked in, in the MSP industry, you know, I have a vast amount of knowledge of, of both sides. So, you know, of, of how PSA tools work and also how MSPs work. So, um, you know, I started up this business to kind of help those MSPs to get the best out of their, their PSA tools specifically on, on Autotask um, and, and just help them with, with all things, um, uh, you know, all things Autotask and, and making sure that everything that they're doing with the product is, you know, aligned with their, uh, their business processes, all that kind of stuff. So they, that's really where, where I come from and, and where I fit in. And I think the last time I saw you was 2017, maybe? Yes, you and I met up in London and we went for a drink. I think you were over for, for an event and uh, I 
came over to London and we had a, a couple of drinks in a in a bar in London. I remember that well. Yeah. I think it was Chelsea area, but I don't know. It was exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, that was that was fun. Uh, just you know, the years just disappear. So, um, so tell me about Autotask Consulting. How much of it is about Autotask, and how much of it is about, uh, I guess, best practices and running a a reasonable managed service business? So it's kind of a bit about both, really, right? Because um, when I'm talking to a, a, a customer, I'm looking at not just their order task, but looking at kind of how they how they're running their business, where we can make some improvements on the business side of it, and then how we can fit those um, those into order task as well. So making sure that that order task is actually aligned with those business processes and those best practices as well. So it's kind of a a, a bit of both. Um, and it really depends on you know what the customer's asking me to do or or you know where I'm seeing some some improvements that we can make in the business itself um, and normally then that makes uh, you know what we're doing with the PSA a lot more effective uh, for them as well so and you've been doing this a while do you find that there are certain things that have become so commonplace that you just know that you're going to run into a certain issue when somebody when you have a new client Pretty much almost every person I speak to has problems with billing, right? And the biggest one I find all the time um, with, with almost every customer I speak to is the fact that they, um, they firstly haven't entered their, their burden rates correctly for the engineers. So, you know, they got all the en- engineers that are kind of essentially working for free. So all the time they're entering isn't being, um, you know, captured properly against the contract. The contract is then showing, um, uh, you know, skewed figures in terms of profitability, all of that kind of stuff. So, um, so that's a, a, a thing I find a lot is, is uh, not set up correctly. Also, um, you know, one of the things I find is people will have, you know, hundreds of different queues and not know why they need all of those queues, right? They just go, well, that's how it was set up in the first place. So I'm just going to use those and half of them aren't even used that kind of right. stuff. So we, we kind of, um, you know, we're seeing a lot of those. We're just seeing a lot of kind of what I would call out the box installs that people just have left all the default settings and um, and have set things up wrong. One of the other areas, and I know this is something that that you, you know, um, sort of you you speak about in a lot of your books as well, is people just not entering time at all on on tickets. Well, firstly, not even entering it at all. Or, or not entering it in real time, right? So they, they retrospectively come and, and add that time or, or just forget about well, it, that uh, kind of stuff. And I see that so often. People have this misconception that, oh, I'm a managed service provider, so they're not going to get charged for my labor, so it doesn't matter. And so even though it's part of a managed service contract, they just don't put their time in the system. And then for me, the problem is you then can't generate any reports. <laughs> you don't have any you don't have any numbers to generate reports from yeah exactly and and i mean you know you could have engineers that are working 10 15 20 30 hours on on a problem for a customer and you know they've got no way to report against that to see whether the work that the engineer is doing is is profitable on that contract because they're simply just not entering the time because yeah they don't think they need to build a customer for that and you absolutely do need to enter your time whether the customer has a, a contract set up on the system or whether you're going, you know, billing them ad hoc by the hour. 
And I've actually heard people say, and obviously this is opposite of my advice, but they, they, I've heard people say, I don't want you wasting your time putting your time into the system because we're never going to get, you know, we're never going to charge a client for it. But what you just alluded to is a contract where you have an unlimited amount of time going into solving a problem and you, you have an unprofitable project and you don't know it because you're not tracking it. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, how, how else would you know whether that contract is, is profitable or not? If your engineers aren't logging all of the time against everything that they do for that customer, you know, you have no way to actually know whether that contract is profitable. It, it might look profitable on paper because you've got all this money coming in every month, but how do you know how much time your engineers are actually spending against it unless you log in the time on the system? Yeah. I think it's, it's funny that people, you know, we all start a business thinking, oh, if I do this and this and this, I will be profitable. And, you know, I remember when I first started, I used to always think in terms of hours. I would see something and say, oh, I want to buy that. Uh, it'll, it's $200. So, you know, I got to work like an extra two hours to pay for that, right? And I would yeah. think in terms of that. And, you know, by the time the month was over, I had spent 900 hours worth of stuff because each one of them made sense in isolation. So now we get this really fancy tool and we don't use it in a way where we can effectively track all that stuff that we think makes sense in our head. Um, set, uh, kind of a related topic, you said, you know, the out of the box setup. Um, do you help people figure out what their um, statuses should be and what their priorities should be within the system? Because it does come pre-configured. Absolutely. And, and that's exactly what we do. So the very first call we'll have will, will kind of be that fact find call or, or health check, whatever you want to call it. So we'll kind of sit down and we'll, we'll, that's the first thing we'll look at, right, is what do your statuses look like? You know, how many of them have you got? Why have you got them? Um, so a lot of what I'm doing is, is challenging people, right? I'm saying, well, well, why have you got 600 statuses on there? Do you really need all of those statuses, right? Because your engineers aren't going to know which status to change a ticket to if you've got that many of them. Um, and um, so it's, it's things like that. So we'll look, at, we'll look at statuses, we'll look at queues, we'll look at roles, role rates, um, that kind of stuff, look at work types, just make sure that all of those things are, are not set as just out of the box because, you know, out of the box, all the task comes pre-configured with, you know, 10, 12 statuses and, you know, the, the same amount of queues. And, you know, we'll have people that might be a one or two man IT company and they'll have queues that says level one, level two, level three. I'm like, well, you don't even have level one and two and three well level two and three support engineers so why even have a queue called that why don't you just have one queue called support and chuck all your tickets into that yeah so do you think that most small shops should just have the one queue i think so i mean because well certainly for for support tickets that that customers are emailing in right i think it's it's useful to have one queue that does all of that and then you know perhaps another queue for uh, you know, monitoring alerts and that kind of thing. She can then just keep them separate and keep the noise out of um, uh, out of the same queue, right? So you can just say, well, you know, um, all the support type issues, we're, we're going to keep all of those in one queue. There's no reason to move them to another queue, right? You can just manage right. the entire life cycle of that ticket through that one particular queue. Well, the only right. time you need multiple ones is if you have level one, level two, level three support guys. If you have actual staff, right? Yeah. 
you know, yeah. it's funny because to me, the one of the great benefits of a ticketing system is all of the work is visible. And mm. then what happens is people go create all of these ways to make it less visible, right? Yeah. It's like, it's hidden over in the, you know, backup waiting for reports from Microsoft queue. And you're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Why does that queue exist? <laughs> and and no one even knows it's there, right? So so then they'll have some automation that'll stick it into that queue and none of the the engineers know about it. Or a year later, they, they forgot that they've actually done that and they go, oh, I didn't even know that ticket was there. So it's like, you know, keep it simple. Just keep everything in, in one queue or, you know, maybe two or three queues if you've got different things like RMM alerts and, and support issues and, and that kind of thing. Um, but otherwise, you know, there's really no reason to just, have a queue and a status for everything under the sun it just doesn't make any sense and do you think that people get confused between a queue and a status when they're setting up their systems if they they create a queue for things that really should be a status uh, yeah all the time i mean i see in fact i see a lot of times that queues and statuses are actually named as the same thing right so they'll have a waiting customer queue and then a waiting customer status as well or a level one status and a level one queue. And it's like, okay, so they actually, and then you ask them what it's for and they say, well, it's so that when it goes into the level one support queue, my level one guys know that they need to look at a ticket called um, level one or waiting for level one engineer. Like, okay, so if it's in the level one support queue, then it is waiting on the level one guys to do something with it. So, uh, you know, it's funny. Uh, when I ran my managed service business, I always found that if I worked with somebody who was in a government agency, their systems were always far more complicated than they ever needed to be because somebody had gone off and taken a one week long, you know, deep dive class and learned whatever active directory to the degree that they went and wanted to go back and turn it into you know, a 747 with a thousand little buttons to, you know, flip back and forth and everything. And then you go in and you're like, you have seven users. <laughs> why, why does your active directory look like this? And, and I think there's a tendency to do the same thing, not just with Autotask, but with any PSA that if people go in and they go, well, but I can do this and I can do this and I can do this. And it's like, oh, overcomplicated. Yeah, you can't. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that's the thing because it's such a complicated tool. People think they need to overcomplicate it even, or they think it's complicated and it therefore needs complicated setup to make it work or complicated, you know, automation. And, and you really don't. I mean, you know, and so, yeah, I think people just have this misconception that because it's such a big tool, it needs, it needs all of these, these things to be done on it. And it, it really doesn't. So. So if you were going to, uh, take on a new client today uh, and they, and in a perfect world, they will like check the box and put in their credit card to auto task. And then they'll call you and say, I want you to help me set it up right from the scratch. Um, what would you say is the most important benefit that they need to get out of their PSA? Like what should they pay attention to first? Yeah. I certainly think that, um, you know, making sure that, that they got all the, the billing squared away first and making sure that um, they're able to, uh, uh, you, you know, look at profitability, look at things like 
contracts, making sure that those are entered properly, that they're billing for those through all the tasks. So billing doesn't necessarily mean invoicing. It just means you're running a process called a proven post and, and that's what's going to determine your profitability. And then also the fact that it's doing that, having the ability to press a button and, and then automatically throw that stuff into QuickBooks or Xero or whatever application they're using. So the very first thing we, we always look at is, is the billing side because that's really... Um, you know, what these PSA tools are, are designed for, right, is to, to help you look at profitability and understand your profitability. The the CRM and, and all these other parts of it are, are, are kind of nice to have, but that's really what the power of, of the PSA tool is is really there for. And so that's what we focus on a lot. So we focus on those burden rates I mentioned, you know, earlier on, people making sure that they've got all the, the costs of their engineers entered in, um, all the costs of their services and products and then making sure that the contracts are set up and all of the exclusions around those contracts are set up correctly and that we can then bill for them and, and run those profitability reports. So it's funny because I think about, oh, the, the fully burdened cost of a technician. I don't think you know that until you've run your PSA for a year and you know how billable each technician is, right? Like what's the, what's the actual utilization of a technician? Because if somebody's regularly 32 hours a week, you know, uh, and you're paying them for 40. Okay, that's good to know. They're 80% happy days. But, uh, you know, you, you probably have to revisit that setup after a year or so. You do. And I mean, from a from a utilization perspective, absolutely. But I think from a from a cost of an engineer burden cost, I mean, you, you know, a lot of people start out by saying, okay, well, you know, what, what do I actually pay this engineer you know, divided by how many hours he's actually in the office and, and that's his hourly rate. Um, and that's often good enough to just get you um, knowing what that engineer is actually costing you to, to deliver the services. You know, some people look a lot further than that and use, um, uh, you know, all, all the other costs in the business. So what does it actually cost to have him sitting on a chair, you know, in terms of his laptop and electricity and all these things. And then they work all of that out divided by the billable resources and then get a cost from there. So it really depends on, on how you do it. But that figure, certainly the figure of what you're paying your engineers on, a, um, on an hourly basis should be fairly straightforward and fairly easy for most people to work out. So do you encourage folks to go to invoicing out of Autotask as quickly as possible? A absolutely. I mean, because there's no point double entering stuff, right? Because most people will, um, and and this actually happens, I see a lot of people come to me where, you know, they they will be creating a ticket or they'll, they'll enter a ticket, they'll see all of these times that have been entered and then manually go and key all of that into their accounting tool. So, um, you know, I always try and encourage them to, to get billing out of the system as quickly as possible because that's just gonna automate pushing that stuff into your accounting package where you can then generate it you know, your invoices automatically to send out to your customers. So, um, so there's no reason why you, you sh shouldn't be doing that almost immediately. You know, it's funny, a few years ago, I had a coaching client that he had sat on the fence for a year. He, he literally bought Autotask and hired somebody to set it all up, fine tune it, get all the statuses, work types, you know, contracts, everything, just set up absolutely everything, workflows, and but hadn't actually started using it and so when they came to me it had basically been set up for like a year 
And, you know, I went through with uh, their consultant and we went, you know, item by item, line by line. I'm like, eh, you know, I'd make a little tweak here, a little tweak here, but you did a spectacular job. Why aren't you not using it? Oh, we're not ready. I'm like, well, what the hell does ready mean? <laughs> like, yeah. And because I'm the opposite. I'm like, plug it in, start using it. And then as you configure it, it'll just get better and better and better. So those are kind of the two extremes. Where mm -hmm. do you fall? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not a, um, you know, it's not kind of a set it and forget it type of product, right? It's not something you can just install and then um, use it and never make any, any other changes to it, right? It's, a, it's an ever living, breathing product and it constantly needs to be tweaked. So, you know, there's... There, there's no sort of, sort of any time, I guess, is, is, is a good time to start using it. So even if you start making just a few little adjustments to it, get your guys onto it, get them used to starting to use it. And then things like, um, uh, you know, adding any other cues or statuses or any of the other things that you want to do. You can do that while your engineers are, are using the product. But yeah, don't go through a whole setup for, you know, years on end using it and then not do, uh, not do anything, um, anything else from there. So. Yeah, it kind of hurt my brain, you know, like, what, what do you mean you, you have it perfectly configured and you haven't actually started using it? It's just like beyond my comprehension. Yeah, that's crazy, man. That's crazy that, uh, you know, and, and people are paying all that money to use the product for all that time, right? Because, right. They, you, you know, the PSA vendor isn't going to say, yeah, just, you know, come back to us when you're ready to use it. They're going to be paying for it all that time. So it's crazy not to be using it. Exactly. So um, what do you think is the ramp up time? Like if somebody were to, to invest today, how long would it take them to get their actual value out of uh, a PSA? That's a great question. And I think it, it again, does really depend upon, um, upon the business, depends on what they're putting into it. But most of the time we find that, um, you know, people can really start to, to see some value out of the PSA tool you know, in probably a couple of months after, after using it. Um, so, you know, the, the implementation time to actually get it set up from, um, you know, from a, a, a virgin system that you'll get um, from, from all the tasks to getting it working with queues and all that kind of stuff. You know, we, we can do that in, in a week or two, right? We can really get it to a point where it's, it's working. That's all depending on, um, you, you know, on the time that, the MSP has to put into it, right? Because this is something that that they're going to need to to invest the time in as well, right? It's not something we we don't do a turnkey solution kind of thing where where we just set it up and go, there's your system working for you, um, off you go. It's it they need to invest the time in it. So we find that very often people, you know, will will start on something and then they'll get busy and they won't have any time to do anything more. So the project will hold. But you know. If everything is is in place, we should be able to to get it up and working for them in probably a couple of weeks, and then they should start to see some real value out of it in in a few months of of using it properly. So, what would you say is the least used feature that people should be using? So, there's quite a few features actually. I mean, I don't see a lot of people using the project module out of all the task, and I think. Um, you know, that's, that's overlooked a lot because a lot of people, and, and partly because people find it very, very cumbersome to use. And it, it can be, but the reason it's, it, I think the reason people find it cumbersome is because it's just not set up properly, right? So, um, so and again, it's the whole thing of, of it, them overcomplicating it or it, it 
being overcomplicated for whatever reason. So projects is one that people don't use a lot. Um, I, I also think that, you know, things like the CRM, believe it or not, everyone, you know, kind of moans about how, how bad the CRM is. And again, it's, it's actually something that um, you can do quite a lot with the CRM if you set it up effectively. So most people that I see will use the PSA predominantly as a service desk. And my argument to that is it's the most expensive service desk you're ever going to use. Um, right. So, you, you know, you're paying all this money. If, if all you want is a service desk, then go get a service desk, right? Go and get, um, you know, whatever it is out there that, that, that you can get and go and use that as a service desk. But, you know, if you're going to buy a PSA tool, then you need to use it for, um, for, for everything across your entire business because that's what it's designed to do. So it's designed to, to um, you know, do all of your sales, all of your opportunities, all your project management, your billing, all of that kind of stuff. That's what a PSA tool is designed to do. So, um, so yeah, there's lots of things like that that people just don't use in the products. So obviously you need a, um, a user for every technician, the service mm -hmm. manager, uh, probably the, the owner or whoever approves the billing. Um, do you need one for the front office? Do you need one for admins who go in and check time cards? It depends on who, who you ask, right? I mean, so yes, anyone that, that is essentially a billable resource that you want to track the utilization, you want to track how much time they're spending. Um, yes, those are the kinds of people that... Um, that you would probably need to have a license for. But somebody who's an admin front front office person who's maybe going to run the billing once in a while, they could probably log in as somebody else and use their account. So, um, you know, it's really only those resources that are, are, are billable or those resources that you want to be, you know, tracking how much time they're spending on the jobs that they're doing. Those are the kinds of people that, that would need a license in the system. All righty. So how do folks get a hold of you? So there's a, a couple of ways. So you can either reach me via uh, Twitter. Um, I've, my personal Twitter account is, is Tegwin, which is T-E-G-W-I-N, um, or our business Twitter, which is Sondela Consult, or they can visit me at www.sondelaconsulting.com. And you'll give me links to all those to put in the show notes. I'll give you notes on all of those. Yep. <laughs> and then if folks want to listen to the podcast with Rayanne, the PSA Impact, uh, how do they get a hold of that? Yeah, so uh, they can either go to psaimpact.net uh, and we've got all the all the downloads on there or on any of their favorite podcast catchers. We're, we're on pretty much all of them um, and we publish them every two weeks. And something you'll be interested to to know, Carl, I'm uh, I'm I'm joining the, uh, the the world of of published authors. I'm actually in the process of writing a book about PSA tools, so. Um, that should be published soon. Um, so I will put, uh, as soon as I know some more of that, I will let you know and you can put that into your, your newsletters. But if anyone wants to know, you know, what, what's going to be in that, then obviously just reach out to me as well. Excellent. Well, when the book comes out, I will get a hold of you and we will do this all again. Absolutely. So very cool. Um, so uh, we've got about three minutes left. So what are, what are your best tips for people who want to get the most out of Autotask? Clearly set up the invoicing and the finances for, at the beginning and then what? Yes. So the best tips are don't use it as a, as a service desk only, right? Um, make sure you get your billing in there, as you say, and don't leave the default settings as they are. Make sure you're, you're actually changing those to fit in 
with uh, with your your business, with your um, processes in your business, that kind of stuff. Very cool. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate your time today. Awesome. Thank you very much for having me, Carl. Really appreciate it. All righty, Chris, Tim, and uh, we, with luck, we'll have you back very shortly. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the SMB Community Podcast. If you found this useful, interesting, or fun, please subscribe, share with your friends, and give us a thumbs up on your favorite social media. Please check out the show notes at smbcommunitypodcast.com and give us your feedback.